Man Bakiada Yasiaram, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Azerbaijani, which is a language, <laughs> uh, for I live in Baku. Baku nice. lives in my head uh, when I think of crazy F1 tracks, so we're here to talk about that today. Um, we being me, Drew Scanlon, also Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Hello, good to be back. Thank you for holding down the fort. Um, although, wait, did me and Rob also do one on our own at one stage? I remember. Yes. It's, the past couple of weeks have been a blur. Glad to be here for Baku. Baku. Also here for Baku. Rob Zachney, how are you, Rob? Looking forward to Baku. <laughs> Uh, if you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. And if you are new to Formula One itself, uh, we've got an episode just for you. Uh, our preseason primer episode, which is episode 137, uh, assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains everything about how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, again, it's number 137. Also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and uh, videos exclusively for our patrons covering racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, uh, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and also get access to all of that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. What's been going on this month, Danny? A bunch, a bunch. Uh, we have just, well, this month, actually, not not a lot, because we've just tricked over into June here at time of recording. But last month, a.k.a. eight hours ago, I posted the Drive to Survive uh, Season 3, Episode 3, rounding out our full review of Drive to Survive, the Netflix F1 series, which many of you, I'm sure most of you at this stage, have watched. Um, so if you want a recap of some of those episodes, the most recent ones being 6 through 10, uh, go over to our Patreon now. If you signed up now, you get access to all of those um, and all the other weird and wacky film reviews and racing series reviews that we've done. And in fact, now it's going to turn into silly season on the Patreon feed because we are out of the sort of now traditional three triple header of drive to survive reviews at the top of the season and we have to dive our hand deep into what has now become a sort of a bargain bin of f1 movies as we've covered off quite a lot we just of... have to expand the definition danny that's a good point well we did do cars and talladega nights last year so yeah it's so already speed racer this year oh god we should do speed racer is... right honestly that's at the top of my list it's a it's a it's one of the best racing movies right yeah in terms of momentum and speed and yeah Wachowski-ness. i've never seen it yeah i've had people like make the argument make the argument that it is a rad like maybe the most underrated Wachowski work yeah um it's, it sounds fair and like secretly brilliant what, what what else are they throwing in there i guess cloud atlas and what was the first one what was the one they did before jupiter's no, no oh god jupiter's sand is terrible uh, the, is the one before them, the matrix what was the one with the the the, the it was like lesbian crime thing. It happens in an apartment. Bound? Bound. Wow. Bound. Yeah. That I was totally the movie. missed that movie existing. Yeah. It's good. But it's like, a, I think they did it as like a test piece to see if they were able to direct the Matrix. I think that's what. Anyway. See, I, I think see. anyway, last thing, Jupiter Sending, that movie has like diehard followers who are like, I bet it that does. movie was misunderstood totally like critics were out to lunch it rules secret genius it's, uh, it's so it's, who knows it's a lot it's a it's a it's it does have channing tatum being a sort of a sp- anyway this type of discourse is what you can look forward to <laughs> on our patron feed um also the baku track walk will be up uh in the next day or two i already recorded it in 
Baku. And of course, thank you to all of our uh, our title sponsors, although it is the first of the month and I haven't had a chance to check yet, but I don't think any of these have changed, but it might have happened. But anyway, thank you to Jason Kelly, uh, Will Romph, Umberto Roca, Circuit Demon, Reagan, Sam G, Conor McManners, Jason Chadwick, Abdullah Althani, Bailey Foote, Jack Ben, Greg Salt, Fudo Highs, still the one I can't really get, BPM, uh, Drew Stewart, and Tracy Syntax. Head over to patreon.com slash shift that to add your name to those, or check out Rob and me arguing about Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> uh, Danny, we did not get your thoughts on the final four episodes of uh, Drive to Survive. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I was I was looking forward to doing that podcast. I couldn't because I had family business to attend to. Um, the yeah, I, I I think it's a it's a mixed bag. I think I caught some of the podcast as I was editing it, and I agree with the sort of uh, the the Grosjean one. I really liked. I think that was a really good example of like yes, they stretched it. Like I think this is where people understood what documentary filmmaking is or something because like the internet was like, but the, he was out of the car and like. 20 seconds it was like well if you're watching the live broadcast he was not out of the car in 20 seconds if you're watching the live broadcast you sat stewing in it for about as long as you sit stewing in it in the movie and they do a really good job of like filling out that space and and sort of showing the perspective of the people on the pit wall and like giving it the dramatic levity it, it deserves um i think the sound mix on that entire section is incredible because they have like they obviously pull sound from different cameras um so when the crash happens you hear like people reacting which there wouldn't have been but and also you hear like the chopper rotor noise on that which i'm not also not sure if they bother recording that there's just lots of interesting like um creative choices i thought were cool uh and yeah, but but those last four episodes are strong ones, and then there's a, a couple of weak ones. And also, like the oh no, there's five minutes left in this series. We better talk about racism. Lewis, come here for a second. Was was like, like yeah, almost yeah. worse than not even covering it. It was just the sort of you know weak attempt at, at putting it in there. Um, but yeah, all in all, I think the series was really good considering what they had to work with. Um, I think they did a good job of I, the production hurdles. Like you can see where they had to sort of tie to individual people, and uh, the McLaren episode is the one that is stupid. Like the oh yeah, the the creating friction between Signs and Norris was just like so such a reach. That's that's where they lost me. Um, but it was good. It was a good series, and uh, clearly a lot of people who. Listen to this podcast still on the emails. I get emails from people saying and the first line is, I just watched Drive to Survive and I'm getting into F1. So it's, it's clearly doing its job, That's you awesome. know? Yeah. Speaking of sound, um, I believe it just won a BAFTA for sound. Oh, I'm not surprised. The sound mix is, on that show is tremendous. Yeah. Although I, I don't know if you guys find this, but I have to turn subtitles on. Not because of the accents, but because the dialogue often gets lost in right. the sound effects. Have you watched uh, Tennis? <laughs> yes. Same deal. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's just my mix or what. Like, do you guys find that as well? I didn't have, I didn't have trouble with this okay. one. No. And I did, I and obviously I did with Tennis. But, For um, me, it's the accents getting a little bit lost in the mix. Like, I think the mix is okay. just aggressive enough that, like, some of the accents become a little bit hard to parse. Um, even though I can parse them just fine, like in a regular interview, it's like totally. But like catching them in the in the mix with the music and the uh, and and the sound effects can be a bit much. Right. Cool. Well, yeah. If you want to get uh, the full breakdown in the last four episodes with me and Rob uh, flapping our 
jaws about them, you can do that over at patreon.com slash shift F1. But let's get to the news, everyone, ahead Baku. of Baku. Uh, I was in the forest for the last five days, so I, I have no idea what's going on. How was the forest? Um, it was great. I was backpacking in the Trinity Alps wilderness, and I have a lot. I have a, I have a mosquito bite in my butt. Oh, wow. In your ass. That's, did you yep. get that sleeping or just? I don't know. Yeah. Are we sure it's a mosquito bite? Mm. Also, no. Could be a bear. Um, well, I mean, they, they got ticks out there. Oh no, they got ticks out there. I did tick check. Uh, all right, might be, I don't like might those be a little, little high. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So consequently, I'm leaning on you, Rob, to fill me in on what's been going on in Formula One land. Well, not a lot. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, we we basically had plenty of time to just analyze in excruciating detail. Uh, the Botas pit stop that that wasn't mm. at, uh, or I guess the the terminal pit stop at Monaco, uh, but Autosport did post a beat by beat breakdown of what happened in that pit stop to explain like why they couldn't get that uh, wheel off, and they found that um, so I sort of assumed when that initially happened that probably the die was cast before the race even began. Like maybe they'd over tightened on, you know, when they when they attached the wheel. Right. And like it was just a matter of time till they figured out like, oh, this thing's busted. Um, but in the breakdown that Autosport did, uh, Matthew Summerfield was the article on it. Uh, they looked at the, the at photography camera angles and they found that Botas came in a little bit off his marks. Um, and so there's kind of an ergonomic layout for each crew around each of the, each uh, around the tire. And the, uh, the wheel that was affected got a little bit crowded. Um, and the guy standing there with the replacement tire uh, was sort of crowding the, uh, the, the um, gunner, the, the gunner. Yeah. <laughs> and so the gunner, didn't have full room to um, like put the gun in a direct head-on position, and so he kind of angled in at the nut. And when he hit it, apparently he just sort of immediately flayed, um, you know, all the teeth uh, straight off. And Boy. at that point, that's that's why it like was beyond salvaging. Uh, basically, that little bit of angle not being head-on uh, instead of engaging the nut, instead of just beat the shit out of it uh, until there was like nothing to engage with. But it's um, funny because that happens. Like that's that's not rare, right? I mean, it's not common, but it's not rare. And that's when they usually get somebody out with a hammer or something. But he, they must have really done a job on this wheel nut if they, you know, because also he had like five or six goes in the end, right? They kept like trying. To, so I wonder if they were just <laughs> eroding it, machining the nut more and more with every time, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they analyzed, like, they see him adjusting the um, direction control as he's trying right. to basically, like, back it and, and twist it, like, one way or the other to try to loosen it. Uh, so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if in the process of trying to, um, like, fix that, they, they, they further damage the nut. Uh, but the other thing that's cool about this, this article from Autosport is then, totally needlessly, but they show every single team's, uh, like guns um wheel guns because they're all the core of them is basically a standard piece of kit made by this one italian company okay but every single team customizes their guns um, okay 
for exact like angle of approach for exact way to grip it and it's just like the most f1 thing of like the, this basic tool is basically the same up and down the grid i gotta see this. every single team has a different expression of they probably what this spend looks like. millions like collectively on this <laughs> oh dude like these things are like so the red bull ones are sick as hell uh oh, the yeah, mercedes are. ones are sick and then if you scroll down to williams um it's basically like they attach some like polymer uh to the casing and like that's kind of it mclaren's um, gun looks like a laser tag gun looks like you're going through qzar with that thing oh yeah that is ridiculous wow oh wow the stripes yeah yeah, yeah. it's great i will definitely put this in the show notes this is tremendous god fair play to autosport as well for going for doing due diligence on this one on this well, yeah that's williams a, this looks is like ex- you just got that off amazon for 30 bucks nothing shows you how slow a newsweek it is than the amount of work autosport have done on this article <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> it's it's perfect um i, wow. I loved pieces but danny you said that um this is kind of why Toto also kind of said, like, well, really, it's Valtteri's fault. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, because, like, you know, the F1 meme sphere just loves, like, basically commenting on how much Toto protects Lewis and is, is kind of quick to maybe cast aspersions on, on Valtteri. But, yeah, yeah, he, he, he there was some line out where he basically said, yeah, and Valtteri, you know, just remember the no blame Mercedes, but also yeah. Val- Valtteri missed his pit box. And like, he didn't miss <laughs> it by that much. Like, and it's also like, I think they have the toughest one because they're the, uh, it's advantageous tactically, but like, it also sucks that they're the first uh, pit box because they're the champions. That's if you don't know, that's how they decide who the, where the pit order is, is that the champions are the first box and the last box is, I guess, Williams traditionally <laughs> recently. Um, so that's you know, and in Monaco, it's it's a it's kind of an awkward pit entry. You know what I mean? You're kind of turning right into yeah. it, and then you have to like level it up. So like, I'm not surprised if he doesn't exactly hit his pit marker if he's racing for the lead of the Grand Prix as well. Um, he didn't miss it by that much. So you know, I think they'd, you know, th- th- these teams are used to the car not hitting the pit marker every single time. Like you know, sometimes yeah. they missed it by much much more. You know, feet. Sometimes they ram the jack guy, you know, so, uh, yeah, it's uh, seemed a bit harsh to, you know, point that out, especially when it was visible. You know, I guess it's part of telling the story is that like the reason yeah. why the, the jack man in this respect, but they were very quick to defend him. Remember at the start, they said, oh, he's one of our most um, uh, experienced uh, jack. What do we call it? Jack people? Jack guy? Jack man? Jack, mechanics? Jack, 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 mechanics? So I think the jack man Jackanics. is the man at the front who's doing the doing the actual jack. Oh, sorry, right? I shouldn't say jack. Yeah, gun. I mean, gun gunner. Guy. Yeah, gunner. Um, gun chap. Yeah, but I think so. Just related to this, the Altieri Botas's publicist. If you're listening, you gotta stop having him like do extended interviews talking about how he motivates himself oh my god by looking for petty slights oh my god uh, autosport also had a piece about like how <laughs> valtteri revealed that he keeps a negative image on his computer desktop for motivation wow um and it's just the standard like it's we we you can you can hear him saying it talking about you know he just 
looks at this thing to 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 get motivation. You gotta actually, it's Toto's idea. Toto keeps two pictures of former business rivals that he just fucking hates, and so he looks at those pictures to like motivate um this this process called enemy building to motivate himself uh, for greater success. And I have oh two responses to this. One, this is psycho shit. Two, <laughs> this is like sad sack like psycho shit like this is not this is not Hannibal Lecter you wouldn't catch Hannibal Lecter being like mm, yes what like who is who who in this department is my enemy that I will that I will sort of like stew over all the time uh no you just go out you kill that guy and you eat him um <laughs> and instead like Valtteri it just feels like so often we're coming back to this notion of He's got to, like, build up this resentment in order to, like, function. And it doesn't make you sound cool, dude. It makes you sound kind of washed. It's weird. I want to know what the image is. Yeah. Is it just Lewis Hamilton winning his latest championship? He said it wasn't a person. He said it's a negative image. So, okay. Like a a thumbs down? What, what, What is that? Is it is it that tweet from that guy that when he won the race last year he said to all my haters fuck you? That's it could be that I could see maybe like could it be a picture of like a time he was asked to move over, um, hmm. you know like Hamilton passing him like I hmm. I have no idea. Um, but it'll be a time he binned on the wall in Germany on his own when he could have won the race. <laughs> I'd be curious like for me it's like what was your motivation what was your what was your approach when you're at Williams. Um, and I know expectations were low there, so it was probably way easier to function. But like, um, yeah, like Botas has got to stop giving these interviews. Um, it's, it's funny like, though because it's like Hamilton co- does come from the other side of like, especially now that he's like you know an elder statesman and he's won so many championships. But he does come from that positivity place, right? Where he's like, he doesn't dwell on the bad stuff. He doesn't, you know, easy again, easy to do when you're in the front. We'll see what happens if. Verstappen is still leading a championship in a couple more races, but he always, always come from that positivity sort of, you know, Toto's there and Hamilton is the sort of like the angel and Valtteri is the devil. It kind of sounds like when it comes to their mentality. Yeah. It's just I, weird. I think, I think if you're going to be that guy though, if you're really going to be like, I look at these things to like get, give motivation. You got to go all the way and just be a complete monster. You got to go full Jordan. You can't be like, oh, I look at sad pictures and get upset. No, you got to like paint a target on someone's back and you got to take them down. Schumacher. Otherwise, this is all just posing. Yeah. You have to make up a story about why you're angry at them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, pit stops gone wrong, did any of y'all catch the, well, you were in the, you were among the trees, mm-hmm. uh, Drew. But uh, so I assume the trees were not carrying indie or indie updates uh danny do you catch any of the uh, indie 500 i watched a little bit of it and i saw the extended highlights uh yes so i know to what you are referring yeah um i thought it was it was a great race Mm. um tons of fun uh the last 50 laps of that race were just pretty much no holds barred like flat out racing last two laps were um real good too like oh and like came down to it it's so weird. It's weird to see a driver I remember watching as a child, Elio Castro Neves, and being a top driver when I was a kid. It is so weird seeing like that dude like emerge as the winner of the Indy 500. It's like 
one, Elio's still racing, and two, <laughs> Wait, like he's Helio Castroneves won the Indy 500. Yeah, yeah, became wow. four time champion. Fourth. And like, there's yeah. not many of those. Yeah, he he he's old. That's amazing. Yeah, he's 46. Um, and dude, it was so cool. Like he and Alex Pillow um, were going like blow for blow for the last like quarter of the race. Yeah. Patricio Award was near them the entire time. He never got the pace to make an attack into that like uh, battle for first. So it always felt like he was going to do something. He never he never quite pulled it off. Um, but Pillow and Castro Neves were like really trying to figure out like when their moment was going to be. And um Polo pulled off a really nice move, got ahead, and it looked like he was starting to run away with it. Um, and then, and it was great. It was so cool on the TV. We went to in-car, that sort of nose cam you get um, from from Elio's perspective, and you heard the commentators all start to go like, oh, here we go. Because you could see, like, Castro Neves, like, dialed it in, found the exact draft, and it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't, like, too dramatic, but you could see just every corner like he was just reeling him in and Polo could not break away um and he just got such a run on him Polo trying to like you know break the break the uh, toe um and Elio just went sailing past and then uh before Polo could really reply because it looked like he might be able to um they start catching up to lap traffic yeah and so they like, like they crossed the of- yeah, they crossed the finish line in like a traffic jam, and that probably gave Elio a bit of a a bit of a toe um, that made it impossible, like for Polo to catch him once uh, Elio lost uh, lost that advantage from following. Which, if it, if there was another lap, it might have worked the other way around because then Castroneves would have had to have figured out a way of overtaking like these six cars that were all, you know, that would have been the field. Yeah, like seeing those guys battling for the lead whipping through a dense pot of traffic uh <laughs> would have been would have been awesome but it was rad. um and so is the celebration like elio is an elder statesman of the sport um full crowd and it was pardon full crowd too right place is packed yeah they were saying it's the biggest sporting event in the world since uh covid started right uh, yeah it was the first event the capacity in india is huge it's a huge track um and so yeah he like it was a total valedictory for him. Uh, it was great seeing him celebrate. But the reason I brought up pit stops is the race's complexion kind of changed when uh, Graham Rahal had a really advantageous pit strategy that he was running, uh, was in a really good place to battle for the win. And then uh, he exited the pits and his left rear came off and he went sailing into the wall. Um, and it was a really bad, scary accident. Into traffic. And, and, yeah. and but thankfully, like nobody struck him because that was the we kind of saw the crash after that we were following the pack, I think, on TV, and then they saw him and it was like, oh geez, where where did he come out of? He must have crashed coming out of the pits, um, with like cold tires or something. Uh, but yeah, you know, there have been other recent instances of that exact thing happening, and then somebody getting collected sideways, um, or collecting someone else. Um, but yeah. his wheel was loose too, right? That was the whole thing. Yeah, and uh, so they on replay they showed it, um, and the drive did an analysis of that little clip. Um, yeah, it was loose. It also looks like he went without getting a signal to go ahead. Now I haven't. Indy car pit stops are so different. They fuel yeah. cars. <laughs> um, there's fewer guys working on the cars. So like, 
I don't know what the procedures are. Uh, one thing that jumped out at me is like, there's no Jackman or like, uh, I think they got those air jacks under the cars. Um, right. And I think that comes when they, I could be wrong about this, but I thought when they come in with the fuel, there's also a pneumatic <clears throat> tube there too, that puts air through the system. And that pushes plungers down on the under, underside of the you're car. Is that how up. those work? Well, that's amazing. I think so. I always wonder how those work because it always seemed like <laughs> such a huge piece of kit to install on a race car. I never figured out how you how you would keep the air pressure there. Uh, but yeah, that totally makes sense. Mm. Um, but either it's way, it's not the NASCAR like, shuffle. It's not the check 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 check. One side <laughs> yeah, goes off and then the other side goes off. So I love that. But I think in like in F one, they're still basically telling guys. Now, admittedly, sometimes guys still go because they're amped up, but guys still get the signal. To be released into the pit lane, they still, yeah, have to, still they generally are supposed to wait for someone to give them the go ahead. Yeah, there's a light, um, right? Ever since the lollipop man was was yeah taken out of the system because he could lollipop person was was point two five seconds slower than the light was. <laughs> <laughs> so the the thing I wondered though is like in IndyCar, is somebody supposed to specifically give you the wave through? Yeah, I couldn't tell. Yeah, go? it's it's like generally the the front. Tire Left. like pit pit lane right. side tire right. guy has got a hand on your tire and then a hand like uh, held up in front of your face and then he just kind of gives you the you know go go mm. go sign. Um, it's not it's much less technically sophisticated than a light bulb. But either way, like but I maybe probably also pay attention to a dude who's standing there and wait for him to give me the the high sign. Um, and instead, Graham kind of didn't. He was you like he felt the car go down. And then he was just on it. Um, and probably nine times out of ten, that's fine. You know, you probably get a few, a crucial tenth of a second or so uh, doing that. But yeah, the, the dude in the rear the rear left was like frantically trying to work it. Um, and they didn't uh, they didn't manage to, to stop him before he went out. So it was a wow. um, really dramatic accident and really, you know, weird, weird glitch in the pits. Who is Don't it you get the on wheel? the radio immediately? Like, whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. I mean, they must That's, have because they had to also drive down an exposed pit lane, right? Because those yeah. pit lanes are just like full of people. So, um, and the wheel. I came wonder off. if it was you didn't see the body language is interesting. the uh, the The guy working the wheel on the left rear leans back like, uh oh, but he doesn't. He's not frantically waving. He just looks like resigned. Mm. So either he was hoping he was like, yeah. it's, it's probably Maybe. mostly on <laughs> or he was just like, well, he's not even going to make it out of the pits. Um, I am surprised that they weren't able to immediately like send him some kind of because, again, when this has happened in F1, a lot of times they manage to tell you by pit exit, you got to stop the car. Yeah. Um, though we have seen guys go all the way around and a faulty wheel install. Yeah, there's that time in uh, I think that's in Drive to Survive season one where um, before Grosjean goes off with his, his wheel wasn't on and that you can hear the mechanic say, I don't think that wheel is on. So maybe it could have been like a I may have gotten it yeah. on Greyhall's car. I don't know. We'll know. Then soon. You have your answer. <laughs> yep. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it was Connor Daly uh, who hit that. He, he, Connor Daly making his Rocket League debut, really. Um, just perfectly <laughs> squared it. up and yeah. nailed that tire. And honestly, like this was maybe the scariest part. Uh, people were like, it's good that that wheel didn't get into the cockpit, which of course it is. It's also real good that when he sent that wheel arcing, Dude. it sure looked like 100 feet in the air. Oh my uh, God. From, it, it flew out of the camera shot. 
You're like, yeah, it, what? Where? And, did the, and like, and this is the oh great, the fans are back, full fans for the first time ever. Could oh, you imagine geez. if that thing went over the fence? Like, and it could have easily. It just went left instead of right. Yeah, it was. Um, that was probably the scariest part. Is like that wheel bouncing along the circuit and then getting hit and immediately having so much more energy on it uh, than than it had, had a minute ago. So, well, and this is exactly the reason that the windscreen is there. Yes. Yeah. Now. It didn't quite hit the screen, but it, if it did, it would have. Yeah, not been fun yeah. either. It hit the front, but yeah, Mad matter of seconds. You can see in his onboard as well. You know, he, there's nothing he can do because you can't no, tell, it's... right? Because it's a moving target, so you can't tell if it's going to hit you or not. So he's like, eh. boy. Mm. Uh, well, but yeah, so eventful, eventful Indy 500. Um, real yeah. good racing. Um, Indy's Indy's in a great place this year, man. Yeah, and like fun. you can see those young drivers um, starting to become the next generation of uh, dudes. Like Polo is had his breakthrough uh renas vk is starting to look like a uh, a better driver award is clearly like at that cusp but becoming like a leading driver colton herto is out to an early lead mm, so yeah. like yeah it's uh never been a better time to get into indy and uh, hop aboard while we've got the stars of tomorrow and apparently alio de castro neves the stars of two <laughs> yesterdays ago <laughs> um God, I think I think JPM was in that field too. So the only thing that uh, could have made that more chaotic is if we'd had like a Montoya win. <laughs> Boy. Um. So just another piece of F1 discourse I want to talk about real quick. Uh, there's been some discussion of getting rid of wind tunnels by 2030. Hmm. Autosport ran a piece about this, uh, discussing the pros and cons by Adam Cooper. The uh, it's being discussed by team principals. Uh, it was discussed uh, at the uh, an F1 commission uh, meeting. And the argument is that CFD simulations are advanced enough now that you don't really need the wind tunnel. This is computational uh, fluid dynamics. Sorry. Yeah, computer stuff. Compu- computer wind tunnels. Yeah. <laughs> um, so CFD is better to the point where, like, yeah, uh, wind tunnels aren't as useful as they were. And two, and this is one of the other parts of the argument, is that wind tunnels are really energy intensive and they're kind of at odds with the uh, goal of sustainability for the sport. Mm. Uh, the people probably most, probably highest on this idea are like Adrian Newey and Red Bull, uh, who are fully ready to bid farewell to like the wind tunnel era. They find the technology old. Um, the counter argument that I found really interesting was uh, Omar Safnauer. Aston Martin is in the process of like building a new aero facility. That's kind of a big wind tunnel, but he's like, it's, he knew this going in. He was like, it's still worth it. If they're going to be gone in 10 years, it's still worth it for us to do this. Um, But he made an argument. And remember Omar's an engineer and I found some, I have some sympathy with this. Um, He was like, one, they're not actually that expensive to own and operate. Um, once they're built, they're they're pretty lightweight. A lot of the expense comes from building the scale models of parts that you run in uh, wind tunnels. But like, that's still probably cheaper than doing like live testing on a track. Right. Um, there is there's still anxiety about uh, like conformity between CFD simulations and then like real world performance era, like wind tunnels, like sort of cure that total wolf brought this up where he's like, 
we don't want to be in a situation where effectively we are doing our real testing with live drivers in a car um, when before we would be running air over in a safe lab environment. Um, but the other part is that, and then the Autosport piece alludes to this. So wind tunnels uh, cost a million, uh, I think it was a million dollars in electricity a year uh, to mm, run. Geez. So like it, generating 200, 250 miles an hour airflow over aero parts. Yeah, it's very energy intensive. But CFD is really energy intensive. Um, and the nature of uh, like CFD simulations is that the more granular get, the, the better the simulation you are making, the more horsepower you're eating up, right? Like basically the sky, the limit is what hardware you're willing to throw at it. All and that so, wind is used to cool graphics cards. And motherboards. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's, and I think somebody even alluded to like, basically, okay. Uh, like CFT is basically running an engineering Bitcoining rig. Um, <laughs> and so like how cut and dried are the savings? Yeah. Um, because the thing is like a, wind tunnel can draw from a cleaner and cleaner grid, um, presumably. But if CFD keeps getting better and better and there's no real incentive to not just like throw more horses at it, I could, I don't know. I like somebody right in who understands like the power draw on like a full, like aeronautics grade CFD, uh, like stress simulation. Yeah. Do we have versus, any listeners like, running in like tunnel? Pixar's render man lab? <laughs> Right. I am just, I am so skeptical that like by 2040, we wouldn't have simulations running that like just gulp down comparable amounts of juice uh, to what wind tunnels were doing. Mm. Um, so I don't know, but it, it's, it's interesting to think about like the wind tunnel era ending. Um, and it's interesting seeing like who's eager to move on from it and who's kind of skeptical of it. I think, it's so interesting, like Nui and Omar are probably the most experienced, like front public facing engineering voices on the F1 grid. Um, and, you know, they're reaching completely opposite conclusions. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm kind of of two minds about this. Uh, you know, anything we can do to, to cut cost, um, because that would ensure more longevity for the sport and for teams and for more teams coming in that all that's great. But like, I kind of like the physical nature of like building a car and putting it in some air, you know, do they even put the real cars in there anymore? Do they? I like guess they do scale downs. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it, but it's, I think it's, it's pretty high scale. Like it's, I, I right. think you're, I think they're putting in like 50% size or more, uh, like, like size components. Um. Cool, but yeah. Went uh, so blown away. Last thing, what? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, just last thing to talk about. I think prior to Baku, Baku is um. I don't think we talked about this last week, but the flexi wing thing has sort of come to a head with F one ruling that they're going to institute more stringent tests uh, for for wing flexibility. They're going to put them under more tension to see if they flex beyond what the rules technically allow. Uh, a lot of team principals are seething about this because they're like, "It's a super ticky tacky change. All this was signed off on. It's going to require redeveloping parts. That's going to be really expensive." Like I think. Uh, Frederick Vasseur was like, this is going to be massively expensive 
to bring out a new front wing that conforms to this new test. And it's going to make no difference. Not going to make racing better. Uh, mm. It's just it's just expense. Um, so people are pretty pissed at Mercedes uh, for being kind of the prime mover behind this. Right. Um, I think this weekend they're not instituting the test. Mercedes and a couple other teams have threatened to protest because they want the test to be instituted right away. Oh, my goodness. Um, for obvious reasons. And uh, Helmet is now... You know, Helmet Helmet um, found his way to a microphone, as he often does, uh, <laughs> and is we are now in the schoolyard scuffle uh, phase of this, where Helmet said, if, if Mr. Wolf thinks that is too late, in my opinion, it is still the FIA that determines the procedure. If he does that protest, he is free to do so. But I think he should also look at his front wings because on service TV and also on Sky, there was a recording where you saw how drastically this front wing approaches the ground. So now we're at the stage of, well, what about your front wing? And everyone is threatening to uh, test everyone else's uh, aero components. Um, This would be Helmut Marco of the Red Bull family. Yeah. Yeah. This does feel like a tempest in the teapot. Like I, I suspect it's <laughs> it's like we're talking millimeters of nonconformity, um, and yeah, it is going to be expensive bringing out these stiffer wings. Um, but I mean, we we have seen teams leverage the advantage of um, like higher wing flexibility. But I think we now we're getting into like because they broadly ruled out most of the exploits. Um, I think we're we're still we're we're still in a very um, detail-oriented fussy interpretation of the Mm. rules but that's f1 all right well thank you for that news update rob i feel fully caught up now on the nothing that happened are you ready (laughs) to go to europe or i guess now azerbaijan this yes the site of the former uh european grand prix danny Take us there. Oh, the European Grand Prix. The European Grand Prix has been everywhere. Sometimes. Is it like what? Eurovision? Like, was there one in Australia at one point? Is, uh, there is no... The European Grand Prix has not been in Israel yet. Um, mm. So, uh, uh, no, it hasn't quite reached that level of nonsense. But, um, uh, yes, Azerbaijan. Uh, the, the, the capital city of Azerbaijan, Baku, has held the European Grand Prix before they got it right and gave it to the country itself. It has been the Azerbaijan Grand Prix for the past, uh, I guess, three, now four years, but it only has ever had three races. So that would be two years because last year we didn't go because of, Mm -hmm. not sure if you've heard of this, the global pandemic. Um, But the Baku City Circuit um, is an interesting circuit, uh, especially coming off the heels of Monaco, because when we hear city circuit, we think, oh, city circuits, they're small, they're, they're, they're speedy through these like very tight areas, there's not much room to go, and, and, and they're small, the laps, we have to do 100 laps here because they're just so small. Baku is the, uh, has been the second longest on the circuit, this is the only one that was bigger than this in previous years, was Spa. So it's it's really that. long. It's six kilometers. Um, this year it will be knocked down to third place uh, if we go to Jeddah because Jeddah is six point one kilometers. Also a city circuit. So something's happened in recent years. I know Singapore is not exactly tiny, but um, with these city circuits, perhaps knowing the 
issue with Monaco, um, wanting to get out a little bit outside of the, like to go into the city part, but then also have like, you know, maybe a wider part somewhere else. Um, they've sort of addressed that. And Baku is a really good example of how this works because there is a very fun technical city section in this track. In fact, you can basically split the track up this is one of those tracks where the first, second, and third sector look like three different tracks. The yeah. the first sector is basically, do you like 90 degree turns? We <laughs> we got your back because it is just a sort of a rectangle shape. Um uh uh lots of 90 degree turns back to back to back. The first four, uh, arguably six turns are all uh, uh 90 degree left, right, left, right. Um but they are a little bit wide enough for you to throw yourself down the inside of them, um, especially between uh, two and three, which does have a, a DRS zone, albeit a smaller one and not the most advantageous one because the Star Finistrate has one and that's really long. Um, the next section is basically the city Monaco-esque section. Very technical. Almost zero overtaking happens in this part of the track. Um, it's just more advantageous in different parts, and it's just too difficult. Like it is very tight through this section. Uh, they also go past uh, a sort of castle at one stage, and on this yeah. sort of twisty. I don't even know what you call it. It's like an uphill corkscrew blind right hand at the top, like a like a like almost like a mini chicane into the. The castle mm-hmm. section, the type of thing that happens when you try and build an F1 track where there's a castle where you it just kind of have go to go through the castle gate. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, it's like a Mario Kart track. It is. It's a very fun and people part. Get, and if, people get this wrong all the time. Like Leclerc famously crashed here. Yes. Leclerc, who currently holds the fastest lap there as well. So, it, you know, it takes out the best as well. So it'll be very interesting. Yuki Tsunoda is probably already having nightmares about the castle on his oh way boy. to the track, uh, as I'm sure uh, um, Nikita Mazepin is as well. And perhaps also, given recent races, Nicholas Latifi may be actually the one who's worried the most about hitting something. Um, but uh, Isn't this also he- where uh, Grosjean crashed yes. into the wall under safety car under safety car lots of stuff's happened here it's where hamilton and uh vettel had their little uh safety right. car scuffle it's uh, where uh, uh ricardo and verstappen crashed into each other exactly right on the straight on Red they, Bull. they flew out into that uh, what i always thought was a incredibly long um runoff area at the end but i guess it was completely necessary because if you crash yeah. on the start finish rate that's where you're gonna end up um but yeah and then the third section is it's it's a wonderful it's it's a it's an equally as technical sector as the second one but just three gears higher or two gears higher it's it's pretty fast um some nice little tight turns again not that much space for overtaking but basically it is the setup for the pounce uh, which happens after turn 15 which is a set of very fast corners leading into um a uh, a a incredibly long straight um the straight happens arguably three turns before it looks like the straight's happening because the cars are gaining speed up through them it's basically flat out from turn 16 the exit of turn 16 which again has a really wide um runoff area almost encouraging drivers as they approach downhill from turn 15 to really close the gap like it's it's a it's a it's a track that's like like sucking the drivers towards overtaking like come on make make it happen here make it happen here which is why we see a lot of action um 
on that start finish straight um, as well because of the DRS. I do not believe they've changed the DRS this year. I looked it up because it's always one that you think maybe I'll move it back a little bit. And um, the detection zone is actually on the straight, so you don't get a lot of the people closing the gap and then you know getting an unfair DRS advantage. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a track that always seems to throw up moments like the many ones we just mentioned. Um, Alonso getting into a scuffle and having to drive back around with with uh, with his his wheel hanging off his car. I I think this is a fairly safe safety car bet as well. Although we didn't get one in Monaco last time, which was a little bit odd. Um, so you never know. But uh, yeah, challenging track. It's also one that like Monaco, you're kind of on the whole time. You know, they find it very mentally challenging because you're just on the whole time. Baku. You, you can't you're you're obviously f1 driving is really difficult but that sort of like super intense city circuit racing kind of only happens in the middle so they have to switch themselves on mm-hmm. and you know and then sort of extend themselves a little bit in that third sector leaving in back into sector one so i think that also brings its own challenge for the drivers because they're they're having to they can't just have like one racing brain in this one they kind of have to swap it around a little bit yeah, and can't be lured into a false sense of security. Like, right. oh, these walls aren't so far. Oh my God, a castle. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk weather in Baku. The qualifying day looks to be in, uh, I don't know, nice nice temps, low 70s Fahrenheit or mm. uh, uh, low 20s in Celsius for a qualifying day. Very low chance of precipitation, probably around 5% um, for qualifying, but... Probably some high winds, uh, 30, mi- uh, 30 kilometers an hour or 18 miles an hour. Um, unsure how that's going to affect uh, a city circuit. Either the built buildings will block it or it will create a wind tunnel. Right. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Nicholas the TV's very, toes curling again. <laughs> <laughs> very windy race day, about the same. Um, also very low precipitation and the temps uh, also about the same. So yeah, low, low 70s um, and low... 20s so yeah should be pretty consistent um should we take it to some driver standings heading into the weekend just as a refresher for everybody max verstappen is on top with 105 points in the driver's championship lewis hamilton right behind with 101 then a jump down to lando norris lando norris in third with 56 valtteri botas with 47 is in fourth place and fifth place is sergio perez with 44 leclerc has 40 signs has 38 ricardo has 24 gasly has 16 ocon has 12 uh, in 10th place. Then we've got Vettel with 10, Stroll with 9, Alonso with 5, Sunoda with 2, Giovinazzi in 15th place with 1. And everybody else, Raikkonen, Russell, Latifi, Schumacher, and Mazepin have 0 points. Mm. In the constructor standings, Red Bull is on top with 149, Whoa. Mercedes number Whoa. 2 with 148. Uh, McLaren is in 3rd with 80 followed closely by Ferrari with 78. Uh, Aston Martin is in fifth with 19. Alpha Tauri has 18. Alpine has 17. Wow. Uh, All the A teams, one point (laughs) from each other. That's crazy. Hey. Uh, Oh, and then Alfa Romeo (laughs) has one. So uh, they're in a nice block four. Uh, And then Williams and Haas have zero speaking of the a teams have you seen the youtube video on the f1 channel where they get all the drivers to try and name an f1 team from every letter of the alphabet no it is very good and they score them so you they have a you have a winner at the they do a, a, a 
driver's standing of uh of who who is the most knowledgeable um nice i'll try to find that uh, and put that in the show notes who do you think's the most knowledgeable i can see rob kind of oh vettel <laughs> uh, so did, i know he does that very well vettel yeah. had a very surprising lapse that's all i know about this test oh really um okay. yeah. yes he did he did and also he kept like he kept going for very obscure teams because at the end i'll show you like who were all the l teams and the ones that were picked and then the ones that were not you know some some weird team from the 60s only did two races or whatever but he kept picking very obscure ones which was well not well not that very obscure but yeah, I mean, Lewis f- f- said McLaren instead of Mercedes for him. Which is <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> All right, that's that's good. Man, um, I am not doing well in that. I'm doing it in my head, and I'm like, I don't. It's think very I can... difficult. Yeah, yeah. What's the what's the most obscure team you can name? Oh my god! Like L's Ligier wasn't that one? Yeah, Ligier. Spiker. Yes, I like yeah, Spiker. I totally forget Spiker was Spiker's in. I totally forget that there's yeah. a Spiker team. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I'll post that in the show notes. That'll be fun to watch. Um, That's good. And speaking yeah. of teams, if you want to create your own fantasy team of drivers and put it in with us, you can do so. Uh, there's a link to join our fantasy league in the show notes. Um, should we take you to some emails at this point? Let's do it. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. I'll read the first one. It's from Noah. Hey, guys. As I've been watching the races this year, I've come to realize that Ricardo almost definitely isn't going to be a world champion. Something I thought he could do for the longest time. Uh, Do you have a list of other drivers you think had the talent to do it if it weren't uh, for some other team or driver being extremely dominant during their career uh first of all how do you feel about ricardo as a world champion because that is a good point when he entered the sport he had that sort of mark weber feel he was from down under he was tall <laughs> he had a strong <laughs> jawline yeah. uh, and he Tell was me about full. his shoulders yeah exactly does he fit in the car um but yeah full of energy full of uh you know possibilities but just has not found the right combination of car or has struggled um with i guess jumping from lily pad to lily pad a lot over the past few years too um so what do we think about ricardo as a world champion i this is such a weird question because not everyone of course is is operating on the same footing right like you mm. in a lot of ways your destiny is determined um with who you sign up with not even just in formula one but like formula two at this point formula three like i remember uh jamie chadwick the um w series champion saying like going to formula three um because you get a a decent cash prize for winning the w series and she didn't want to cast her lot with a formula three team that wasn't very good because that kind of it's like setting your salary right like you 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 get bumped up based on what that salary was instead of like well no i'm gonna hold out for higher so that i start at a better spot because if you started you know a a bad formula three team you don't look very good and so if you get to formula two you don't get into one of the top teams there so um interesting i think that can just kind of cascade so like yeah i think a lot of the drivers here have championship potential if they were in the right cars, right? Like the actual physical, the people in those cars could probably do a lot. Um, 
maybe you know looking at Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton um, kind of undercuts that argument a little bit but um, I think Ricardo if the cards had been if he had played his cards right we could be talking about that um, yeah. but but for all the other drivers in the way right so I don't know it's it's a good question he I would have loved to have seen more Ricardo versus Verstappen right mm. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, Alexander Rossi was in a terrible backmarker team manner and then left F1 and then went and won the Indy 500, you know? So it's not like, uh, the guys in the back of the field have zero talent. Um, I don't know. I'm rambling at this point. What were you going to say, Rob? No, I mean, I think... I, I, I think that analysis is fundamentally sound. Like, there's so many things that have to go your way. There's so many... Like, it's such a stratified field. I will say... Ricardo showed a lot of early promise, but part of that was showing up and kicking Vettel's ass. And at the like in retrospect, it was also well there were major holes in Vettel's like armor uh, that we hadn't fully seen. And then once Ricardo was on the scene, they started to get exposed. At the time, the narrative was, "Man, Ricardo's just the new sheriff. Look at this badass taking on the uh, you know four time world champion or whatever it was." Um, and now, with the benefit of hindsight, it's like well. That all in a more competitive situation has not like covered himself in glory. Uh, so some of the some of that early buzz on Ricardo has to be taken with a grain of salt. I didn't follow his pre F one career at all, so I, I can't speak to it. Um, but if he really wanted to be a world champion, like the thing to do was he would have needed to fend off Max, and he didn't. Like he was pretty, he was mm. being pretty thoroughly beaten by Max, and it wasn't totally lopsided, but it was going that way. And when Christian said, you know, I felt like Dan Daniel's running from a fight. I think that was a bit unfair, but I think there was a degree of truth to it as well. Um, Ricardo's position was always, I wasn't getting a fair shake at Red Bull. I can certainly see that. Um, I think there was, a, there were a lot of things going Max's way, but if he could have shut Max down, he would have, he didn't. Um, and from there, yeah, it's the, um, Sort of the itchy feet thing that I'm I'm curious is is how it's going to play out for him because yeah, I'll tell you what's not doing him favors is going from like driving a uh, Renault into like podiums and like starting to make it look like you're being part of a real turnaround at that program and just like driving like shit in a McLaren uh, that has been shown to have considerably more pace. So you know so, some of this is some of this is luck and. Uh, he is making choices that have, that have been proven to be maybe unlucky. Hmm. And then the second part of the question, I mean, I think that there are obvious sort of standouts here with the driver who never won. Oh, the Felipe is my guy. Felipe, Felipe Massa. Yeah. I mean, he was so close as well. Yeah. Like it wasn't, it was literally the final turn of Interlagos and, that. And actually Rubens, I've always thought like on Rubens his Barca day, Rubens Barrichello often... is the number one, Oh damn, my my teammate is like as much as we look at Bottas and Hamilton, Rubens was second in the championship all those years. Well, and, behind Schumacher. and he was never given a fair shot. No, like, they no. put like they stabbed Rubens in the back so many times that like they never let it be a situation where 
Rubens could have proven that he could move beyond Michael. Yeah. And boy, there's a lot of drivers up and down the grid when they talk about like Michael. It's that he's an absolute bastard as a teammate <laughs> and like works in the gray. But is he that good a driver? And very few people argue that but, he's that good. But that's uh, but uh, and you're right. Like in that respect, like when you see like th- that is born out of those situations, like the whole you know, silver war of Rosberg and Hamilton being able to fight it out. Like that stuff did not happen at Ferrari during that era. You didn't, you did not have those types of fights. Rubens was, was often used as a, you know, a blocker for, for pit strategies and everything else. So, and consistently became second in all those championships, you know? So, um, obviously shout out to, we have to mention starting Moss who never won a championship despite, you know, having like, I think in a, an absurd amount of race wins he came second all those years in a row uh david quiltard also never won um a championship um but i'm trying to think of the current current crop because you get you get those are the drivers who like could have made it and didn't and then you have the opposite end which is the good for them ones where you're like they probably won because of certain circumstances or it just fell their way and there's your sort of jensen buttons you know or or you know kimmy in some respects as well his year um where where there just wasn't we didn't have that you know the stratification of points maybe helped or maybe you just didn't have that iconic driver in the right car at the right time so it was a little bit more the door was a little bit more open and we made had the that. fewest mistakes that kind of thing yeah yeah exactly yeah um i think talking about this makes me think uh, just how um uh not lucky but like how strange and unique Perez's situation is because he was one of those guys that you could like it it always goes like this for a driver they get in they do really well um like look at nico hokenberg like he, he Perez got in i think one or not one uh got on the podium in his first race something that drive to survive uh reminds you yeah um and then just kind of gets passed around from team to team and doesn't really like he does well but he's not uh, you know, he's just kind of in the mid pack and he's, he's another journeyman driver. Um, and generally, uh, that's how it kind of, it just descends from there. Grosjean is another good example. It just kind of, he got podiums early in his career and then it just sort of trickled down and down and down. Mm. You almost never get that, um, bump back up to a top team that Perez got with Red Bull. So, uh, it's, it's really kind of a, um, a rare yeah, I'm situation. I'm trying to think who, I guess Weber kind of had that where like i guess that was more of his motorsport career because he wasn't but like he his last years in his career were, were with the best car he ever had um and he almost won what was that one year what was this the year where there was like five of them could have won in abu dhabi it's like 2013 i think it was where it all it came down to you know i think vettel was a vettel one that year again it was his last championship maybe i forget but yeah but alonzo probably feel like they sh- he should have had it yes and um, whoever was in the mix Beth strategy i think and hamilton was too and who yeah. was the other one but yeah you're right like you 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 don't see that you know momentum is you know such an important thing i guess um uh drew do you want to take this uh, final question from ben Sure. Ben says, 100% new to following F1 or any motorsport. Uh, thanks for the really fun discussions. Always makes me laugh. Thanks, Ben. Um, when watching highlights of the race winner, there's always that shot of them driving towards the camera as they cross the line uh, to a checkered flag. I've seen this even when it is a tight race where it looks like they need to be on the racing line right up to the end. Uh, my intuition is telling me that leveling out your steering after negotiating the turn such that your bearing is more or less parallel to the track and just going flat 
out toward the line as soon as you can is the quickest way to the finish, but that does not appear to be what many drivers tend to do. What am I missing? What's he missing? <laughs> Good question. So, um, yeah, you, you, uh, I, uh, I don't know if it's toward the camera, but they, they do dive, um, instead of just, wall. yeah, they dive toward the pit wall. Um, and it can kind of seem like they're just going toward their team. Like, Hey guys, thanks for helping me win. Um, but I think what you're missing, Ben, is that the, the cars, uh, have a minimum weight that they must meet to be legal. And they weigh the cars after the race to make sure that, you know, uh, um, on very little fuel that the car does indeed meet that minimum weight capacity. Um, they dive toward the pit wall to pick up um, the rubber marbles that have come off the tires during the race. So you're right. Off the racing line is technically slower, but that's where all the garbage is. And so that sticks to uh, the tires of the race car, making the car heavier uh, so that when they weigh it, it is sure to um, exceed that minimum weight requirement. I don't think teams are producing illegally light cars, but I think this is just one way to be sure that they don't come underweight. Uh, you, they also weigh, this is the same reason they weigh the drivers after mm. um, the race. They need to make sure that the combination of driver and car is not uh, beneath the uh, minimum weight requirement. Um, it's easier, and it's easier in, to weigh them separately and add it than it is to just sit, sit your car a bit longer, please. We're going to take yeah. out the weighing scales. Yeah. And uh, a story you like to tell a lot, Danny, is that in the, you know, in the seventies or something, when rules were a lot more lax, um, <laughs> they would go up and like hug their team. Like, Oh, thanks. You know, I won. I got, I got a podium and mechanics would like throw a wrench in the driver's overalls <laughs> to make them weigh more so that they, you know, <laughs> <laughs> didn't break the rules wild west the wild west back then i they used to do it to the cars too they used to you know they'd be in park Ferme, but you know i guess it's all a bit more it's all a bit better uh you know regulated now but nothing stopping a mechanic going up and checking something and it just like sticking something in 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 the, yeah. in the seat or <laughs> hiding behind something madness but yeah thanks for the emails you can also hit us up uh, on Twitter at Shift F1 Podcast. Uh, also, I am at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? It's around the world. Yeah. The World Rally Championship is in Alghero, Italy for the Rally Italia Sard- Sardena. Sard- Rally Italia Sardena. Sardena. Um, the ADAC. What's your bet? Nürburgring Nordschleife 24. Wow, that's fun. That's a that's a lot of track. A lot of schleife. A lot of time. A lot of, a lot of schleifen. Uh, Formula 2 will be supporting Formula 1 this weekend in Baku. Awesome. The NASCAR Xfinity Series is at Mid-Ohio for the B&L Transport 170. A nice round 170. A little bit of B&L. Mm. Uh, and MotoGP is at the Circuit de Barcelona, Catalonia for the Grand Premi Monster Energy de Catalonia. Speaking of MotoGP, a bit of a tragedy as well. We should touch on perhaps. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, you guys mentioned, um, yeah, that tragic news story. Uh, Moto3 rider Jason Dupasquier 
uh, crashed during qualifying and it appears was was hit by another rider who was riding close behind. Awful. Um, yeah. I don't know any more details uh, than that besides the fact that yeah, he was a 19-year-old kid uh, from Switzerland. So, um, yep, racing Same, same as Simoncelli. It's always, it's always getting collected by someone else. It's just so dangerous um yeah i haven't seen it i think they've done a good job of not keeping it of keeping it private the 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 incidents but um yeah perhaps even more tragic maybe that it was during quali which is tends not to be a time where you get a lot of cars bikes on top of each other um or less so than in the races when they are literally you know in packs together but yeah horrific thoughts with his uh friends and family and fans yeah Yep, uh, and we got NASCAR. NASCAR, where are they at? My backyard. Oh Yours my god, and mine, Danny. Sonoma? Sonoma Raceway. Oh my god, Sonoma Motor Speedway. Should we go? <laughs> Maybe it's okay to go to things now. I don't know, Drew. I looked. They sure on... think of that way in the Indianapolis 500. <laughs> <laughs> I looked on the Sonoma website a, a while ago, and they—I don't think they were selling tickets at that point. Right. So I don't know. Maybe we could get in there, but. Uh, we are I, racing I, the Toyota Save Mart 350. <laughs> so have you ever seen a Save Mart in in? I was just thinking that California. No. <laughs> Don't know. No, it's uh, it's weird. I watched the uh, I watched the highlights of the the Kota race. <laughs> oh, I heard that was a disaster. It was not. That is not a track the NASCARs drive at. That is just. I can, you can tell they're like trying to get anyone to drive at the track. God, please, we haven't had a race here forever. Somebody come here. It rain. It rained a lot. Um, yeah, not a, not a fun, not a particularly great track for NASCAR. They all went like seven wide on turn one and used all the runoff. It's kind of like when, remember when Indy went and they used like. The craziest driving lines because Indy doesn't care about track limits, and they just <laughs> yeah. use, like I think it was the penultimate corner. You know that you know that crazy runoff they have before like the pit entry. You know that like the penultimate corner of Coda. They were just driving the whole way around the outside of it, like they weren't breaking. They were just like turning in and using all the runoff. It was it wasn't that bad, but it was uh, it well, yeah, it wasn't 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 wonderful. It was fun to watch though because it was rain, so it was a bit mad. Well, speaking of things that are fun to watch. The Formula One weekend is kicking off thir- Friday. Friday, I'm, I'm still That's Monaco normal. time. Yeah, uh, Friday at 4:30 a.m. Eastern Ugh. time Ugh. is free practice one on ESPN two. Plus, yep, 4:30 Eastern. 4:30 Eastern time. Jeez. Yeah, followed by free practice two at 8 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN U. Uh, then we've got qualifying Saturday, June 5th at 5 a.m. Eastern time, followed by qualifying at 8 a.m. Uh, that is ESPN U for uh, practice and then ESPN 2 for qualifying and the race. Everyone, Sunday, June 6th at 8 a.m. on ESPN. Rob, you got a bell? Yep, got to run. All right. Um, Looking forward to a good race. Take care, everybody. All right. Thanks, Rob. Um, I also looking forward to um, some some Bakunas. Uh, I feel like we have not had the kind of chaos that can arise from Baku uh, in a while. So it's um, fun track. It's 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 perhaps 
maybe maybe an, I don't know if this is if this is too out there Drew but you could argue that Baku is the most loved of any of the this is also would you believe at a Tilkadrome this this was from wow. the mind of Herman Tilke but perhaps the most you like enjoyed I don't think it has like universal ad- what say you like my track <laughs> I do Herman I love your track I think it's it's weird because like I don't think people have there's no romance around the Baku I think we don't know enough about Azerbaijan perhaps in the sort of west to like to like have like a like a like a like a, at least I don't like an emotional attachment to Baku or Azerbaijan as a nation but in the in the way that we do with so many of the other tracks or historically or whatever but even like the newer stuff there's I think Baku like might be one of the most like you know, consistently good race. There's only been three. It's not a large data pool, but and I am going now. I'm going to make sure it was crap by saying this, but um, but it's 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 been good. It's been a good place, and hopefully it'll continue to be a good place on its fourth running. Agreed. Well, uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of uh, the bonus episodes and stuff we mentioned, you can head over to Patreon.com/slash/shiftf1 to do that. Uh, have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.